Please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. Your word in Jesus. Your word in the scriptures. And your word that comes to us in the proclamation that we belong to you. That we are your children. God, make us your own and help us to believe your word, to trust your truth, and to act in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, I love this story, the creation story, and actually the creation stories, because there's two of them in the first three chapters of Genesis. Um, we have the first one, uh, the first part of that one uh, before us today, uh, where God speaks the world into existence, right? And uh, God's, so it's God's word that forms, that forms and shapes all that is. Um, God's word that creates what we see. What an amazing thing to think about, that God starts in, in uh, the uh, scriptures say, in the beginning, the earth was, uh, it was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, right? And that word for formless, it really means chaos, right? It, it, there was nothing there but chaos. There was no order to anything. You couldn't figure out where one thing started and another thing ended. It was just darkness and chaos. Hmm. We've had our share of darkness and chaos this year, this week. But God still speaks. And God, when God speaks, the first word that God says in all of creation is, let there be light. Let there be light which I've always understood in the scriptures to be less about good and more about truth. When it's light, you can see what is. Doesn't make everything right or good. Doesn't make everything perfect. It makes it real. It makes it seen. Some of the things we see, we don't want to see. Some of the things we see bring us joy and peace and excitement. But in each and every case, it takes God's word, let there be light for us to see what truly is. And that's where it begins. And then God says something else, doesn't he? Each of these days of creation, in this first story of creation, God ends with the word, and it was good. I think that word matters a lot. Because uh, all of the words in this story matter. They not only create what is, they define how we understand it. God says let there be light, and there is light. God says, and the light was good. It's good. 
I think sometimes we hear that when we read this creation story, and we talked about this in our tech study this week uh, with the area pastors, that, that all too often I think we hear that word good and we substitute a different word, perfect. <laughs> I often think of God's creating of the world in the first place as Each day he creates something, and at the end of it he says, ah, it's just right, it's perfect, it's good. He doesn't actually say perfect or just right. He just says, it's good. And that got me thinking, what does that mean, that that it's good? Well, certainly there's a... uh, um, a moral implication to the word good, but here it seems to be more about purpose. Uh, and it got me thinking about that, uh, about a phrase that I've, I've heard people use and I've probably used a, a number of times throughout my life. It's a word that I give when people are questioning, are we, is this going to work? Is this going to, uh, is this okay? Is this suitable? Is this something that we can live with? And that word is, yeah, we're good. We're good. It puts us at ease to say, you don't have to worry. We're solid. We're good. It's a relational word that means this that has been made will serve the purpose it needs to. But what it doesn't say is that it's perfect. That it is without flaw. That there's not going to be troublesome times ahead. It doesn't say that nothing could go wrong. It just says, we're good. We're good together. I think about that in terms of our baptism, where these words also matter. This is baptism of our Lord Sunday. And so we, uh, every Sunday this year, we get from one of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This year we hear it from Mark, the story of Jesus' baptism. It's so strange always to us that Jesus is even baptized in the first place because in many ways we understand that baptism is, uh, is about repentance and forgiveness. And of course, we look at Jesus and we say, he doesn't need to be forgiven He has no sin. But Jesus is still baptized. And he's baptized before his ministry begins, right? As I was talking about the children, uh, we always wonder about those stories of Jesus' childhood. We get one story of Jesus' childhood um, when he goes to the temple at the age of 12. I guess you could count um, the uh, first time he goes to the temple um, when he's named uh, at about eight days old. Uh, and that's, uh, as I suppose you could call that his childhood, but at eight days old, I've never known many children to have much of a distinctive personality that I can say that's what they're going to be like yet. So, so I, I'd like to see that go at least a little bit later. And then we get the one story where he goes to the temple and he's talking to the uh, leaders there and, and uh, he, gets left, he stays behind in the temple, right, and they go back. Mary and Joseph are frantically searching for him. So it's a story of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy getting lost on vacation. 
you can see why I say that if that's the only story that the Bible actually gives us, there are plenty of others you can find out there about all of the miraculous things that Jesus did as a child growing up. Um, But none of them are in the canon of Scripture because the early church said, we're not sure about these. And we don't think they point to what we need for faith. Instead, they skipped over all of that and said, Jesus grew up. And when he grew up, before he started to live out his calling, his, his identity as God's son sent to the world to forgive our sins, to bring new life, before he began that, he did something else. He was baptized in the River Jordan by a man named John, his cousin, John the Baptist, who, in John's words, said, I'm not worthy to do this. But he does it. And in that moment, Jesus hears a word to him from God. You are my son, the beloved With you, I am well pleased. After that, Jesus starts living that life. And I believe that it is, it connects right to where our scriptures did today. When God speaks that word, then it happens. Not before and not a bit after. When God speaks the word, it is. And it can be trusted and lived. And we can understand who we are, who, what this world is about, and where we are headed. And that's true even of Jesus. In his baptism, he comes and he hears this word. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus had any sin. But isn't it interesting that it's not the words that are given to him here? You are my son, the beloved. The beloved doesn't mean sinless, it means loved. Well pleased doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't even say anything about what Jesus has done or hasn't done. It just says that God is pleased with him. God finds pleasure in him. God delights in him. And that's the word that sets Jesus to ministry. And dear friends, that's the word that we hear God proclaim through the church over us. You are my child. You are God's child. You have been filled with God's spirit and marked with the cross of Christ. You have have come into what Christ heard Because God has proclaimed it to be true. And when God says something, what happens? It is. And it it makes a difference. Because words matter. Our words matter. We know that. Our society's words matter. We've seen that. We have seen time and time again how words can inflict harm and hurt and destruction. And we have seen 
as well how words can communicate comfort and love and peace and bring joy. Dear friends, if our words matter that much, how much more God's word. And yet we still wonder, don't we? We still wonder about that word that God speaks to us. You are my child. You're loved. I delight in you. Do we wonder about that in our own lives? I know I do. I question it. And I say, well, really, God, do you? And yes, the answer is time and time again. Yes, you are loved. Yes, you are God's child. Not because of how well I am doing or how poorly, but because God delights to call me his own. God looks at me and you and each and every one of us and says what he said to creation. We're good. Oh, what freedom that is. God doesn't say you're perfect. He never has. I don't think he ever will. Maybe. But for now, what matters is God says, we're good. I'm in this with you. And together, this will work. This this serves its purpose. And yeah, there'll be trouble ahead. There'll be difficulties that we'll, have to, that we'll have to handle. But never question the fact that God is in it with you. And you're in it, not alone, but with God. Because God's word to you in your baptism is that word. We're good. You're my child. You belong to God, and God has committed himself to this world through you. Just as he committed himself to this world through his son, Jesus Christ, whose cross is emblazoned on your forehead, whose mission becomes our mission as the church, just as Christ's mission to bring reconciliation, peace, joy, and love, and forgiveness, and grace, and new life, life that can't be held by even death itself. That is our life today because Christ's name is upon us. And what God says to Jesus in his baptism, you are my son, the beloved, in you I am well pleased. God says to us today, you are my child. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Dear friends in Christ, we're good. Now let's live. That's the word that launched Jesus' ministry. And that's the word that launches ours. It's the word that when we trust it, 
sends us out to be bearers of good news. Sends us out to be agents of reconciliation. It sends us out to be workers for peace. It sends us out to be salt and light. Because what God says is, and it is very good. Amen.